Good morning. How are y'all? How are the rest of you? <laughs> Something to ponder as we get things rolling. Um, what is your favorite food? What is your favorite food? I'm a foodie, so this is on my mind pretty consistently. I have a hard time narrowing it down to one, but it's something for you to consider. And while you're considering that, um, just a friendly reminder that youth group for high school starts back up this evening and junior high this coming Wednesday. Um, I've heard from an entirely objective third-party source that the youth pastor is phenomenal. I've heard tremendous things about him. Um, that's entirely unbiased. Um, in other news... My name is Dylan Meyer. I'm the youth pastor here at Westview Community Church. And my favorite foods consist of these, give or take, like a lot. Um, mint chocolate chip ice cream. Always a classic. Always a classic. It's so minty and refreshing. It's fantastic. You can eat it and eat it and eat it, and you can just keep eating. It's terrible, and it's great. My wife's meatloaf is very near the top of the list. It's phenomenal. It's fantastic. Um, I would offer to share with you, um, but I won't. Anything barbecue, pretty much anything barbecue, especially, thank Jesus we live in Kansas. Kansas has some pretty decent barbecue. Um, I love anything barbecue. I also love, especially in the fall season, apple crisp made in a cast iron skillet with homemade vanilla ice cream. It's very specific for a very good reason very good reason. Those are some of my favorite foods um, and some of my favorite problems because this, this is how I approach my favorite foods. It's never in a balanced scenario. If I buy mint, mint chocolate chip ice cream um, in an effort to do less dishes, I just don't grab a bowl, okay? Um, it's a good idea. I advise you to try it sometime, but here's the issue. is just like that and a lot of other foods that I like. I can never have enough. I always want more of that particular thing. When I don't have ice cream in the house, it's because I ate it all. And what am I thinking about? How I want more ice cream in the house. Here's the problem. I always, always, always want more until I've had too much. You see, because somewhere near the bottom of that tub of ice cream, normally a half gallon, um, I start to feel the urge to vomit because I've had too much. You see, and I think that's how we approach lots of our favorite things, is you can never have enough until you've had too much. And I think when money is our favorite thing, we have a similar issue, that same imbalance of when money is our favorite thing, we pursue it because we can never have enough. But then we've reached a place we're having it or not having it is so much that it makes us sick. We have to find a balance. And I think culture does a poor job of teaching us how to do that. Uh, because the way that we see society view money is that if you don't have enough, that's a bad thing. Um, if you have too much, you're also viewed as a bad thing. Um, there's really a really tough time finding that happy medium um, in this pursuit of money and I think, like fame, money can be a dangerous thing. Money can be a dangerous thing. Um, and here's thoughts from Dylan, not that you asked for them. You're welcome. Um, I think that money, just like fame, is an amplifier. 
I think it's an amplifier. And by that, I mean that it doesn't change you. It simply makes you more of who you are. It amplifies whatever is on the inside. And that's the best, worst thing. Because when there's good on the inside, money amplifies the good. When there's ugly on the inside, money amplifies the bad. But you didn't come here to ask what I thought. What do I know? I'm 24. We want to know what God thinks about this. We want to know how God designed for us to steward and balance this relationship with finances and, and to balance the difference between the blessing and the danger. You see, because God did design this as a part of our lives. This works into the life that we need. And in order to balance the danger and the blessing of this, we need to understand that money is a tool. Money is a tool that God intended for us to use generously. And just like any good tool, it can be dangerous or it can be a blessing. I have all kinds of tools in my garage that if used appropriately, do amazing things. Amazing things. I have very specific tools. I have wide variety tools, but all of them can do very good things, but they can also be dangerous. A hammer can build a house or break your thumb. Just kind of depends on how well you aim. Money very much is the same way. But God intended us to steward it well. And so how does he intend for us to steward? What does he describe? What does he lay out for us, for us to follow his guidance in this area of our lives? We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6, the first four verses, and we're, we're going to look at what Jesus has to say on this particular topic. Um, but I want you to understand that Jesus specifically is correcting the heart in this matter. The heart of how we approach this topic. He says this in Matthew chapter 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have, your, you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not, know what your left, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I think this paints a few things very clearly. One, God designed for us to be generous with the blessings he's given us. When we look at this passage, it's not a if we give, it's a when we give. I think that's very clear. Another thing is that our practice in that is designed to be in a certain way. God designed us to do this practice well, how he asked us to do it. And there's a few things that I think he corrects in our hearts in this passage about how we are to be generous. Generous is the design, but there's a specific way. How do we practice that generosity? And here's a, a few things that jumped out to me. I think God designed us to give generously, sacrificially, secretly, and strategically. I think God designed us to be sacrificially generous. He designed us to be secretly generous. He designed us to be strategically generous. And I think he goes about correcting the heart in this way. 
when he asks us to be sacrificial. He's explaining to us that it's not about us. It's not about us. He's correcting the heart of how we give. And he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets. I love that he says that. I love that he points out that the hypocrites are everywhere. I think that is an amazing job of leveling the playing field. The synagogues, the temples, the church folk, the streets, it's a level playing field. But he points out that it's not to be praised. It's not so that we would be praised by what we have or even what we do. You see, it's not about us. It's about his kingdom, his glory, and his blessing. I think money has the potential to be the most generous, sorry, the most dangerous. The most dangerous when it's focused on us. And I think it has the opportunity for the most blessing when it's focused on him. You see, our money is God's blessing for us to steward for him. It's ours for a time. It's a blessing from him meant to be used for him. And he points that out. That's the way in which we are to steward, that it's not about us. It's about exalting and praising him with what we do with it. But here's the tension with sacrifice. I'm learning this tension with my body. Um, I went to play basketball yesterday morning, and it's been a while. And I sacrificed my body for the game. And then last night, I healed my body with heating pads and massage guns. And <laughs> that is a new experience for me. There is a consequence to sacrifice. Was it worth it? I guess when I won, it was. I lost a few games, too. Sacrifice. There's a tension between sacrifice and stewardship. God intends us to balance that well, and I think he intends that also for us in how we use and utilize our finances. There's a tension between sacrifice and stewardship because it's hard to be generous with nothing if you have nothing. And that would be the extreme of sacrifice, right? If you sacrifice all that you have, what more do you have to give? We must steward those finances well. That's the tension. Which brings me to this question. Is it spiritual to be poor? Is poverty spiritual? Is God asking us to have nothing? I was really afraid earlier this week to ask this question because I was really worried about the answer that I might find. Because if he said yes, I was going to be concerned. Because I like things. Who doesn't like things? I would rather sit on a couch in my house than sit on the floor. I think that's pretty reasonable. Is poverty spiritual? And so I look to a wiser person than I. Um, I have a book called the, Spiritual, or the Spirit of the Disciplines written by Dallas Willard, and he fleshes this out, and he looks at, at this idea of, is poverty spiritual? And he, he breaks it down in a few ways. He points out simple truths, like God's design for us to use our finances is about use, not possession. 
You see, our, our stewardship of finances isn't about what we have, but what we utilize. It's the focus. It's about the use, not just holding on to it. He points out simple truths like leveraging that, stewarding that, investing that. That's the goal. It's, it's about how we utilize it, but it's important that we not learn to trust in it in replacement to Christ. It's about who sits on the throne in our lives. Is it the dollar signs or is it God who utilizes the dollar signs? You can have money without trusting in money. Dependency on money is harmful. Because God intends us to possess, to possess so that we can invest. That's the goal of how we utilize our gifts for the kingdom is we have to have it first so that we can give it away. But it's important that we understand who we trust and who we serve. If we are serving the dollar, it's not useful for the kingdom and it's not really useful for us. But if we're serving Christ with the dollar, that's an entirely different thing. And so is poverty spiritual? Not any more than wealth is. I think obedience is spiritual. Regardless of what we have, how we use it in obedience to Christ, I think, is what defines whether or not we're doing it with the right heart. And the last thing that Dallas Willard pointed out was that the goal here is that we would be capable of possessing money and power without being corrupted by them. To discipline our hearts so that we could hold these things well and utilize them for the kingdom without being destroyed by them. I think one of the most beautiful examples that, that Christ lays out in Scripture for this is the story of King Saul and King David. You see, King Saul came to power quickly, and he held it poorly, and it destroyed him. King David was anointed King Young, but then was forged in the flames, and his heart and his practice of his faith in his life was corrected and formed slowly through being a shepherd, through being a warrior, through dealing with all of Saul's mess to where when he came to be king, he was able to hold that power and use it for Christ without being destroyed by it. I think that is our goal with finances, that we would learn and that we would be shaped in our hearts so that we could hold that well without being consumed by it. Is poverty spiritual? No. But I think obedience is. Which is frustrating, because if God tells you to be poor, there's your answer. The next thing is God is correcting us to not only be generous sacrificially, but to be generous secretly. He says things like, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Again, pointing to the same thought process that our generosity, our use of finances, our use of goods and, and all of that is to meet the needs of his kingdom. It's not about us, it's about his kingdom, not ours. It's about his praise, not ours. And the tension here is there is praise to be had, but it must be his. There is glory to be seen. There must be exalting in this, but it has to be Christ rising, not us. That is the tension of secrecy. 
Because there's times where there are amazing things that happen. There's times that I've been blessed in amazing ways. And I've noticed that when somebody blesses me anonymously, when they do it in secret, I want to say thank you. But if I don't know who it is, I notice that the person I say thank you to is Jesus. And that's something a good friend of mine pointed out after first service. That when we give anonymously, when we give secretly, and that blessing is dispersed on the people that God loves, and they don't know where it came from, all that they know is that it had to come from Jesus. And if we steward God's blessings well, if we're just a medium, if we're just the thing that God's blessing passes through, isn't that true? That all the praise, all the glory goes to Jesus, all the thanks. Not for our glory, but that we would give in secret that his glory would be given. But there's this thing about secret that I think is difficult sometimes. This, this thing about understanding what secrecy is. You see, I looked at this word earlier this week. God says that we would give in secret. And here's the thing about secret. Secret is private. Secret is hidden. And those things scare us. Because some of us hold things in our secret place that is not good and we should not be generous with. But that thing about secret is also inward. It is also inmost. It is the thing that is very near and dear to the very center of who we are. And so when we give generously in secret, God sees us there. When we do awful things in secret, God sees us there. I would encourage you to be generous in both. And by that I mean, if you are holding something in your secret place that you have done not with God but intended to keep secret from God, I would ask that you give that generously to him and leave it with him. But if we give generously in step with God, like he's saying in this passage, that can be a most beautiful thing. The last thing is that we would give not only sacrificially, that we would not only be generous secretly, but that we would be generous strategically. And this is what I mean by this. I've heard once that when you see a need, you meet a need. So sometimes we're not always certain what we are supposed to be generous with or what need needs to be met. But the good news is that God walks in step with us everywhere that we go. And he points our hearts and turns our faces towards things that he knows he needs from us. And so I guess what I'm saying is strategically our prayer needs to be, God, give me your eyes so that I can see what you see. God, give me your hands so that I can offer the help that you need offered. God, give me your feet that I would go where you need me to go. God, give me your heart that I would be generous in stingy situations. Give strategically that we would see and meet that need. I think it is overwhelmingly sometimes the problem of the Christian life that we spend so much time trying to, to build the spiritual kingdom that we cruise right past all else that God has in place. And by that, I mean, I think sometimes we're doing a fantastic job of generously giving God's spirit but we miss things like physical needs. We miss things like financial needs. We miss things like mental needs. We miss things like emotional needs. We miss things. 
And all of those things Satan uses to distract and deceive and to point people toward that one thing. And so we're throwing Jesus in their face and they can't see it because all they can see is, I haven't eaten in seven days. All they can see is, I've been abused for a month and a half now. All they can see is the need that is still unmet. And so if we can offer Jesus into space to meet that need, that's when he has the freedom to move within his spiritual kingdom to bless them spiritually. We need to meet needs strategically. See a need, meet that need. And that's what happens when we follow Christ's example that he lived. That's the most amazing thing is that in all of this, this is something that Christ not only said but did. He didn't just talk the talk, he walked the walk. You see, God wants us to be generous in heart and to utilize money as a tool to bless those he loves. And so we must be generous as Christ was generous. And he wrestles through all of these tensions with us because when he was overspent in his ministry, he would retreat to be ministered to by the Father. There was times in his ministry when he was meeting needs and was overspent and tired and exhausted, just as we are tired and exhausted. And in that space, he would retreat and he would go and he would pray and he would be with his Father in heaven and he would be ministered to. Because here's the, the ugly truth of human life, is we can meet needs, but we always have needs as well. And so we have to balance that tension and Christ showed us how to do that. He showed us that we can retreat to the presence of God and our needs will be met. He showed us that we can retreat to communities of generosity and they will help lift us up and meet our needs. We must be generous as Christ was generous and we must steward that generosity as Christ did. And this must be very near to our hearts. And that's the exciting part. Because I think that it is. I think that this is just like everything else, something that can be approved upon. This is something that we need to correct, and this is something that we need to perfect. As we seek the life that we need, we need to continue to strive after him. But here's the thing. That doesn't mean that we're doing a terrible job right now. I think there's amazing things that God is already doing in and through us. And I think that King, God's kingdom is already here. He's perfecting it, but it's here. It's at work now. And our generosity is as well. See, because generosity is a core value of Westview Community Church. And Westview Community Church is a part of something much bigger. See, because we who love Christ, yes, we attend Westview, but we are building a kingdom that is much bigger than ourselves. And I think we're doing it pretty decent here because this is our core value, that we would walk the talk. Sounds like what Jesus did. We believe in a lifestyle of sacrificial generosity. We are eager to worship God by giving our time, money, abilities, and our experience to support those around us in need physically, emotionally, and spiritually. You see, our core value is based on a core value of Christ that we would be generous with all that he has given us, regardless of whether or not that's just finances or just meeting physical needs like us offering harvesters once a month 
or whether it's us at Advent. Seeing this place during the Christmas season is amazing. To watch the generosity take life and to watch people meet needs of people that they don't even know they haven't met when we sponsor families and we offer gifts to those that don't have any. Or when we use the finances to bless people with gas cards, people that we know, people that we don't know, people of this community, people that we don't even know, people that are just passing through. That blessing oftentimes is the very thing that they need. And if we meet that need, it gives Jesus a foothold in their lives. Things like Homestead receiving a car, one person's generosity now blessing an entire ministry. Things like a sock drive for Be Able, dropping off socks to the homeless in this incredibly cold time of the year. What a blessing that our generosity is giving. Things like offering rides or meals to people. Sometimes the simple things are the best things. Seven weeks ago, my wife and I had a baby, and God has not been generous in giving us sleep, but something that has been a blessing in that is we have been blessed with a few meals here and there. A particular famous brand of chili comes to mind, but God has blessed us in that because in that space, when Olivia and I are like sleep deprived for day 27 in a row, we didn't have to cook that night. And that was a very simple generosity. That was a very simple gift that was stewarded perfectly. What a blessing that is. The way that we bless people generously with relationships in his, helping international students, building bridges and helping people. Sometimes all they need is a friend. That generosity and so much more. So much more. And sometimes God meets needs that we didn't even know we had. A couple years ago, Olivia and I were going through a very difficult financial time. My wife is a full-time student, now a full-time student, a full-time mom. But at that time, she was working maybe at a rec center part-time, but we're one income house, and we were paycheck to paycheck. And a young man from Westview deployed to Poland, and because God laid it on his heart, he left us a financial gift. He didn't explain why, just merely that God laid it on his heart and he wanted to be obedient to that. What he didn't know was that was the thing that got us through the bills for the month. And that generosity was a tremendous blessing. To take that home to my wife and for us to rejoice and pray and say that we didn't, we're too proud to ask, but God gave anyway. What a blessing. You see, because it's not about the act of giving money. It's about the act of building a kingdom and watching the joy fill our hearts as it happens. You see, God has so much for us that we would be fueled for the heart and the mission of his kingdom. That we would be focused not on giving dollars or throwing pennies, but that we would be building his kingdom and caring for his people and loving his beloved. That's what it's all about because Christ is the true treasure. And when we share that, Understanding that we have that, we have a wealth that is untouchable. And that is the gift to be generous with. Isn't that what we should be most generous with? Yes, we should be generous with our money. 
Yes, we should be generous with our time, energy, effort, but shouldn't we be generous with Christ, generous with his love, generous with his story, generous with his reconciliation, his forgiveness, his design for life, that people would see what we have and to know that something is different. Wouldn't it be amazing if Christ was burning a hole in our heart pocket? See, because our generosity makes the kingdom of God tangible. Our generosity with all that we have and all that we've been blessed with makes Christ something that can be seen, touched, heard, felt, experienced. When we steward that well and we are generous as Christ asks us to be, the life we need is never out of reach because the kingdom of God is at hand. And so as we move into a space of offering, I want you to consider a few things. Also understanding that this is so awkward after a sermon on generosity to move into a space of offering. We'll just address the elephant in the room. If God is asking you for money, I would say that you give generously. If he's asking for your heart, I would say that you give generously. If he's asking for your past, give generously. If he's asking for all of the brokenness in your heart, give generously. If he's asking you to be a part of healing in somebody else's life, give generously. If he's asking you to forgive someone that is unforgivable in your sight, give generously. If he's offering that you would be a part of healing and brokenness in your life or someone else's, give generously. If he's asking that you would give love to somebody unlovable, give generously. If he's asking that you would simply flash a smile to somebody that everybody else ignores, give generously. I don't know what he's asking of you, but I would say meet that need because he is meeting it for us. There has been times when we've screamed and shouted and we've been in need and we've been in lament and God has given generously and he's overwhelmed us. And I pray that that would overflow, not just from our bank accounts, but from our hearts, that we would give generously because he's given generously and infinitely and limitlessly and when we run out we would go back to him for more whatever he's laid on your heart if you have a need that you need him to meet ask and he will give generously if there's a need that he's laid on your heart give generously and ask him to walk with you in that space He has a need that he wants to meet in your life. Pray with me, please. God, thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace, your forgiveness, that you shower us in these things. God, I pray that they would overflow in us, that you would pour out, that your generosity would flow right through us, that we would just be a vessel that we would be a clay pot holding your treasure. God, I pray all of these things, that we would learn, that we would be corrected, that we would be shaped, that our hearts would be prepared to give generously, that our right hand wouldn't care what our left hand is doing, but it would just be focused on you, that we would not be worried about what we have or what we don't, that we would be focused on you, that we would be not worried about being praised, being recognized, or even being thanked, but focused on your glory, that everyone would offer thanks for the salvation that you're crafting in our lives. God, there is a life that we need. Thank you, Jesus, that it's not out of reach. God, give generously to us today. Amen.